What I had in my heart was prayer. And I'll just read uh, Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And I think more than anywhere in all the word of God, with the, with the preponderance and accumulation of all the truths about prayer and how necessary, especially again, you know, when I wanted to talk to the men this morning, it's if, of course in Acts 6, 4, and it's specific there, the, the, the specific thing there are the pastors and teachers who are to, who are, are to not serve tables, to get involved with, you know, the every details, everyday details of life, but there to give themselves to prayer, it says. I mean, that's what it is. The first thing is to give ourselves to prayer, and then notice what it says, the ministry of the Word. You can't have proper ministry of the Word and, and counsel and direction and, of course, proper image apart from prayer. And prayer is the key. And uh, so in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, it says this in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, that's the first reason we need to give ourselves, every, every one of us, but especially men, especially men. We brought out in 1 Timothy 2.8, where the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul said, I I wish that men, men everywhere, and the word men, men, men there is, it's masculine. uh, It's not, he's not speaking to women at that point. He's speaking to men. And of course, that has to do with God's proper order, if I understand that. That is brought out in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, and also it's brought out in the first chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians in the 11th chapter about God's specific order in relationships. So that's why it's men. And of course, even as pastors and teachers, that starts, that's, that starts right in the home. But it starts with the individual too. And then it goes right on into, into the leaders. And that's why, again, even in Ephesians, the first, first three chapters, it's all individual. It's all individual but how to function in that individuality. Now you have to have the gifts that are in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. But even before you get to the gifts in Ephesians 4, verses 8 to 11, you can see that there's unity and oneness in the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. But here again, and, and the emphasis, really, that I wanted to speak this morning is the emphasis is men. It's men. The, the, honestly, I think the thing that the enemy fights more than anything, and of course he doesn't want knowledge, things that are taught, and he comes against the experience, right? But the reality is I think the thing, one of the, chief things that he comes against more than anything against men as leaders and how it has an effect on everybody else is prayer. There's no question about it. It's it's probably the least thing today that the church is occupied with. But, you know, if we have a proper occupation of Christ and if he's our pattern, which all the types in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers all through there teach us, if he's the pattern 
And in 1 Peter 2.21, we're to walk in his steps as an example, as a pattern. We see how he was in constant prayer, even in perfect humanity. When perfect humanity, his will was submitted in prayer to his Father. And he's our example. So in Ephesians 6.10, again, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. That's the teachings. That is all the teachings about the person and the work that Christ alone in his own person accomplished to God for us as his church. Put on the whole armor of God. That's what Paul was saying. He said in Acts 20, 27, I have not shunned. In other words, I haven't kept back from declaring unto you all the counsel of God. That's why, again, it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, we as the church have a more sure word of prophecy, meaning we need to, we need to be taught and understand prophecy. And because if we understand these things, boy, is that going to drive us to prayer constantly, constantly. And, but we have a more sure word because we have Christ who he's dawned on us. And this dark day, this dark place of humanity where we are in time right now, uh, the light is dawning on us. The son of righteousness in Malachi 4 Verses 2 and 3, that, that will appear, and that's when we come back with him in Revelations 19. To, just prior to setting up his millennial kingdom, we, we see there that he's the son of righteousness, brilliant son. Everyone's going to see it. But right now, we see him as the church in the night of his absence. That's why Jesus said in John 9, uh, verse 4, he, he was here to do the work. That's expressly what he said. I'll read that in John 9. And this is literally what he was saying. And this is where we are. So we know where we are in terms of prophecy, in terms of the chronological time period of where we are as the church. And then we can see this. And this is what he was saying here in John chapter 9, verse 4. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Who does the work? He does. We do the receiving. We do the receiving. Everything about us is, is fulfilled in the type. When, in, in, in type that Adam was, where was Eve taken out of? She was taken out of Adam. And then he was, he was to be his initiatory head over her as, as, as unto Christ. So everything about even the church Everything about it was taken out of Christ, us as, as the type there. But in 9 verse 4 of John, it says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is the day. And that's what Jesus was doing and fulfilling in those synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke and fulfilling so many beautiful things in John, uh, the, the gospel of John. So he said here, while it is day, he did all of that. He, fi he finished the work in his day. He finished it. Now what is it? Where are we? The night comes. We are in the night of his absence, his physical absence. But he's still the light from heaven. Remember the light that dawned, that, that fell down at noontime when Paul 
when he was Saul and he was persecuting the church and he saw a light from heaven. That's the type. That's the beginning of that in 2 Peter 1, 19. We we have a more sure word of prophecy. It's like a light that dawns on us. It lights up everything about us. I mean, would there even be any energy in in the physical sense without light? Well, it says here, the night comes when no man can work. No man can work, right? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Of course, that I am is the I am that he was telling the Pharisees in John 8, uh, verse 28 and 29. And that's the I am of Exodus 3 and verse 14. And he's that voice in Genesis 3, verse 8, that was walking in the cool of the garden. But again, so here we are in this particular time period where all those prophecies that Christ has fulfilled, all the types, all the prophecies, everything, and we're just waiting, we're just waiting, multitudes go to be with him. And, uh, but there's going to come a rapture. As much as that is more attacked in Christianity today than almost anything. There's not going to be a rapture. We're all, there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. It's all just one thing. Uh, some will teach we have a, Judea, uh, we have a uh, Judeo-Christian heritage, and we know that they're night and day. They're completely, notice, night and day. And... Here we are in, in how close are we then? How close are we to, all, to some of us to seeing him face to face? We're either going to go prior to the rapture and see him face to face or he's going to come back. We're multitudes still on the earth that are part of the church. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, they will come and we'll meet them in the clouds of the air. And then, of course, we go right to the Bema seat at that point. But even the type in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24, Enoch, he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He didn't die. There'll be multitudes of us in this church age, the dispensation of grace, that won't taste death. Psalm 90 verse 10, the average lifespan of 70. And some even, if by reason, 80. But then we are soon cut off and we fly away. And then in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 6 and 7, that golden, that the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, and the spirit returns to God who gave it, and the body returns to the dust, waiting for that glorified body in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. But here we are right now on this earth, but still a heavenly people because our battles so many times when we've shared the book of Ephesians, when the Holy Spirit gave the book of Ephesians for Paul to teach, he had in mind the book of Joshua. So if you want to see the types, all the enemies of of the Israelites under Joshua, all their enemies, the multitude of the battle was in their promised land. And the promised land, we know, has to do in type with us. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus for us as his church are in him, are yes, and settled. 
in 2 Corinthians 1.20. Theirs was the land of promise where they could go and Christ would rule, their Messiah would rule and reign over them. Scores of scriptures in prophecy fulfilling that. You know, again, even in Isaiah of the 11th chapter in those 16 verses there. And again, in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and countless promises all the way back from Genesis 49, verse 10, for Israel as the millennial reign, the promise that he was given to David. Yeah, but who's the David that would fulfill that? In 2 Samuel 7, 14 and 15, it would be Christ. That's all this prophecy, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have a more sure intimate relationship with God through Christ being his bride. While they'll be the servants during the millennial reign, we will be married to him. (laughs) And uh, the most intimate relationship that we have is in Christ. That is those first three chapters of Ephesians. But there's enemies. (laughs) And but you can see the progression of it, how Desperately, we need the teaching of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 and then how it goes into corporate, verse 4, and how the gifts operate. And then in the fifth chapter, how we operate in love and then goes right into the most intimate relationship, uh, revealing the husband and wife with Christ in the church, his bride, and how beautiful that is. And then it goes right into children, how to function in children. And of course, in, in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy and in the book of Titus that will go into how families should even function in the church. But then it goes right into spiritual warfare. You know, in the wilderness, in the wilderness, Israel, they did have some skirmishes with Amalek. They did. They, they did. But more, the, the majority of their battles was when they, were, they got into the promised land. There were enemies that had, to be getting out of, that had to be gotten out of there. That's where you read the book of Joshua. And the types there and the fulfillment of them are incredible. And that's why we need the fullness of the scriptures. And that's why in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired and God breathed. All of it, not just the Pauline epistles. As a matter of fact, Christ didn't give Paul the epistles, and of course they were Christ epistles given to Paul (laughs) without the fulfillment of all those types to understand the full-orbed beauty of what we have in Christ as his church, the place that we have right now. And there we find ourselves right in the midst of spiritual warfare. So in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may have that supernatural ability that only comes from God to keep you standing in your proper, proper position, in your experience and in your proper place against all the methodeable wiles, the strategies that come against the believer of the devil. Why? And boy, we don't... We don't know this one enough. We don't know it like we should. Because the moment we get away from prayer, and again, prayer, what is it constantly teaching us? Constant dependence. Constant. And it's the moment we get away from prayer, the moment we do, 
We stop, we make the battle the way it says it in the original, blood and flesh. We get in the first Adam flesh in ourselves and battle and even use truth, beautiful truth that Christ is. And of course, we know even in the types in Exodus 14, 14 and 1 Samuel 17, 47 and Deuteronomy 1, 29 and 30, constantly, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15, the battle is the Lord's. And that's why it's so necessary to understand for all of us, and this is what prayer is going to constantly teach us and refocus us on, is in, in James 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives greater grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God. That's prayer, constant dependence. Submit yourself to prayer, and the devil will flee from you. Then you can draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Then you can see that, how it works, in James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. But here it says in 6.12 of Ephesians, For we, who's we? We're his bride. We're his church. We're his body. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, or blood and flesh, as it is in the original. We wrestle not. The word wrestle there is the Greek word pale, P-A-L-E, long E, pale. And those that know wrestling know how physical, face-to-face, body-to-body that wrestling is. And we know, as we've been taught through the word in the original, when Paul had this in mind and the Holy Spirit gave him, his mind went back to the Greek games. Those men trained and were prepared for those wrestling matches. It took years of preparation and years of discipline. It took them years for that. And, and when they did, they got into the match and they knew. They were preparing. They knew that when they... They knew beforehand that when they got into that match at the Olympic Games and all the crowd were watching, what a picture. What a picture that is. No wonder it says in 1 Peter 1.12, in the B part, the angels surround us and they are looking in. They are looking in on these things. They're looking in on them and learning things about their Creator who you and I, as his church, are married to. But they knew beforehand when they went into that wrestling match that the loser would have his eyes gouged out. They'd be blind the rest of their life. And oh, how the enemy likes the blinds of the minds of them which believe not. You see that in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. How many truths are hid to believers? How many truths, specific truths, that are the churches? And when I don't know certain things, I'm going to struggle. That means I'm getting into a battle. And usually the battle, we make it blood and flesh. We make it people. It never is. It never is. I mean, has Christ already dealt with every single thing about his church, every single member? Has he? He has. So why the battle? I'm going to tell you why. Because the scriptures tell us all why. 
If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now, when you see, when you hear Jesus speak about Satan, who, who is the devil, one devil, many demons, when he speaks of him, he says he's the prince of this world system in John 12, 31 and John 14, 30. He says that's who he is. But when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, so 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are what? Lost. When you get lost, do you struggle? Yes. You struggle. I struggle. Are we wrestling against people in our relationships? No. Never. Not one single time. No wonder there's the beautiful transparency. No wonder he's given us the beauty of transparency about who we are in a proper image in Christ. No wonder he's given us forgiveness, which is constantly confirming his love. No wonder we go to the offended party alone. We go to God first and go to them alone. It keeps the love flowing and forgiveness flowing. And then others don't get infected and get touched by things that they should never have even been touched with. Bottom line with this, here is if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Listen to what it says. In whom the God of this world. You know when it says the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4? That's religious man under the prince and power of the air. That can be the Christian. In Christ, positionally, untouched, but in experienced, seduced. Seduced. Now people become your enemy. God. No wonder the, the world that looks by sight looks into the church and sees, the, sees them fighting one another. They can say, listen, I can stay home and do that. I don't have to do this. Well, in whom the God of this world has blinded. Blinded there means hardened. Hardened. The minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of, of, of God, who is Jesus Christ. The very image of God should shine unto them. And so we wrestle not against blood and flesh, but separated. You hear? It's etern this is eternal. This is our position. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against what? Spiritual wickedness in the heights. No wonder it says in 2 Corinthians 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, when we agree, disagree with each other and get into a battle, we make the weapons what? Carnal. I don't know. Did, your, did you, the weapons that you had or that I had outside of Christ ever do us any good? What did it ever do? It didn't ever do a single thing. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Listen to what it says. But mighty. Mighty, powerful, explosive through God. And what does that do when it says he casts down these imaginations? Because that's what the enemy's doing. He's projecting imaginations, listen, continually against faith dependence, which would lead to continual prayer. Constantly, constantly. Someone said this to me. Was it someone? Well, if it was another believer, were they speaking outside of their proper position? What was their experience? Was it them? It wasn't. It wasn't. No. No. And even then, when they functioned that way, well, they're your enemy. 
How about Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 4, in meekness, praying for them and hopefully restoring them. Even read Jude the 20th chapter right through to the 20th verse. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Well, if you don't have the material to build yourself up with on your most holy dependence, then what? Do you keep yourselves, guard yourselves in the love that Christ has for you specifically as an individual to which the Bible brings out clearly in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 17 and 18. It makes it crystal clear. We wrestle not against them. So because of this in verse 13, wherefore, because of this, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may have that supernatural ability that only comes from God and has nothing to do with the flesh to be able to withstand in the evil day. What's our day like right now? What is is this country like right now? I mean, it's so evil and, and really not hidden evil anymore. No longer in the closet. I mean, outright against all authority and you can see it and authority has to do with the authority of God's love it has to do with his order and we we need to make this crystal clear like God does we only have all of us one authority and that's Jesus Christ he's the authority he's given men men I will say men masculine singular There's never been a feminine pastor in all the word of God Jeremiah 3 verse 15. It's crystal clear, crystal clear. Never one time has there ever been a feminine pastor teacher. Masculine, singular in the Hebrew and in the Greek. In any language, at any time period that God spoke through his prophets, the word of God, which had to do with his will, which had to do with his order, and when people submitted to it, they functioned in their proper images. It's very interesting. Masculine singular. Take unto you all the armor. And having done all, having and really having done all means having overcome all. Having overcome all to stand. Our standing, it speaks of our position. Okay, that's what it speaks of, the standing. Again, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Bring it out crystal clearly in the word of God. So therefore, it says, stand therefore. Stand. That's preparation. That's readiness. That's readiness. Stand. You're not sleeping and laying down in passivity. None of us are. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And look what it says. And your feet. That's personal. That's individual. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Some would preach, see, God has given men uh, the gift to go out and preach the peace of the gospel. No, that's not what that's saying. That is intimate, experiential peace that they have. And if they're going to go forward in the midst of this evil day, they need to have the peace in Ephesians 2 verse 14 that Christ is in their relationship. And that part of that peace that keeps that flowing is the confession of known sin. And 1 John 1, verse 9, like we brought out yesterday, based upon James chapter 4 and verse 27. And thank God, even for the unknown sins that we're not aware of, 
He doesn't keep us accountable to until the light shines. And then we know those areas. But until then, thank God that in Leviticus 4 and verse 27, the high priest Aaron went in once a year just for the sins of ignorance. Boy, we have so much to have our feet shod with a preparation. Notice what it says? With the what? Preparation. Am I going to go forward? Will I continue to go forward if I'm not prepared? With the gospel of what? What is the whole good news? What was Jesus Christ, gospel, God spelling out, God spelling out through the manifestation of his son, what? Peace. This is the only way. It's Christ. And when you put him, when you submit to him, you put him between you and the devil and he flees in James 4, 7, and then that allows you to draw near to God, then he will draw near to you because he will never violate our free will like some evil teaching will teach. And then we cleanse our hands. And then we purify our hearts. And then we have the proper mourning in James 5, 9, which is brought out in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, a godly sorrow that doesn't have an ounce of regret, but keeps out worldly sorrow that certainly does. How many Christians even ignorantly and unknowingly live just like the unsaved world. Just like it. And they think the normal Christian life is this struggle, this up and down and up and down. And, and it's just, we have this straight line. It's called positional truth. Now that's being worked into our experience. And boy, does the enemy not want that. So stand therefore... And then in verse 15, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Listen what it says, above all. Above all. That's what it says. Above all, what? Taking the shield of faith. Okay, some would think that means I have to constantly trust God. Well, if you don't know what you should trust him for and what he's given you to trust him in, can you trust him? And you can't. Because right here, this is speaking of all the truths, all through the Old Covenant and the New, that's teaching you who the person of Christ is and everything that he already accomplished to God and for the individual. This battle is individual. You can pray for others, but it's individual. You can't. You can't make them will to do something. When they reach the age of accountability, you can't make them. <laughs> when they reach the age of accountability, Christ is their head. That's it. And you can't fight their battles for them. Because if you do, you would even be interfering with God who would have to reduce them first so they could function in the increase of who they are in Christ in John 3.30. Because in 3.27, can anybody receive anything except it come from heaven? Some of these truths are brought out. But again here, above all, taking the shield of faith, with, wherewith you, do you see you? How individual is that? Will be able, supernatural ability, to quench all the fiery darts of hell, all the fiery missiles of hell. Those fiery missiles, are 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations. It's a fiery thought. This person thought this about me. This Christian thought, they rejected me. And it starts to what? What does fire do? Consumes. And we get consumed by this. 
And we get consumed in relationships, especially in the body of Christ, because this is where it's taking place, folks. Look at it. Look at it right here. Where does it take place? Where does all those fiery missiles coming? When we get ready with this booklet, and, and again, this booklet, we've got all the things ready. Now we just got to write it out. Get all the info and everything about it in detail of what this is saying, in detail. Well, you'll be able to quench all the fiery missiles from hell that come from that wicked one who has an invisible, innumerable host who comes against you and never sleeps and never stops scheming. Soon as that shield comes down a little bit, and if you don't have one, then what? If you don't have that teaching, then what? The, the second that shield goes down, in comes the fiery missile. You, the experience, he wants to, he can't touch the position. He wants to consume the, the experience in the believer. You know, we said the other day, and I, and this is true, it's not so much that the enemy has a care in his hatred about what we do and what we don't do. It's he hates Christ in us. You are a target. You are the vessel of God's intimate personal love with you through Christ. You're a target. And boy, do we need that shield. And then it says to take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation here is not just the day that we were born again, although of course, yes, most important, emphatically. But here is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation. How? Well, if I don't have a proper helmet on to protect me and to keep my mind submitted to him so that those fiery missiles, when they hit it, don't penetrate, then Work out your own salvation. How? With a reverence and a godly fear. Why? For it is God. Notice that. It is God which works in you, both to will. How necessary is it to constantly submit my will? What does it mean? Prayer. It's constantly teaching. This is where you submit your will. Constant dependence. Concentration on his presence. Because in his presence, there's the fullness of joy. The helmet keeps it up. There's pleasures for, at the right hand forevermore. And that's why David said it. And, but it was said in the spirit of Christ. There's absolutely no question about it. I've always set the Lord before my face. Psalm 16, 8. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be moved. Not even in the battle. No, I won't. Not even when God is shaking me and removing things in me. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in the 24th verse to the 29th, he's shaking things in me. And what he shakes in us, we want to make the battle of the flesh and blood. Fact of the matter is, what he's shaking in us, you're going to see it in the types. They taught, literally, you'll see it in the types. They came against Moses, Korah. Korah came against him, said, Moses, you take way too much upon yourself. You know, the rest of us are holy too. <laughs> you're not touching Moses, you're touching God's order. When they said, we don't, when they said, you know, in 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 7, you know, uh, Samuel, you're old. <laughs> 
You're old. You don't understand youth. <laughs> but the youth will, right? <laughs> you don't understand. And plus your sons aren't going after. They're not going after you. Give us a king. We want a king to rule and reign. Just like the world. Yeah. Get someone to rule and reign over you <laughs> who fulfill all those lusts and give you a place to function in them. Uh, you know, when they accused Moses, and I love this, boy, when they would accuse Moses, Miriam, Korah, you look at it, look at it in the Bible. When, and that was spiritual warfare, by the way. When they did, you know what he did? You know what Moses did? He fell on his face before God. It wasn't his battle. He fell on his face before God. You know why? You know what he knew? He knew that they were coming against God and him as a vessel. That's what he knew. And he knew his place of protection in Acts 6-4 was to give himself to prayer. And then properly God could counsel him first with the ministry of the word so that he could be a proper minister and not get into a fleshly battle. Gosh, and how many times? How many times has that happened? But here's the fact of the matter, and this is what it says. Take the helmet of salvation. Again, Philippians 2, 12, 13. Work out your own salvation. No one can do that for you. You reach the age of accountability. You can be guided. You can be encouraged. And you can be taught. But it's up to you as an individual to take it, to give your will over and allow him to be your head, your proper form in your image of thinking how God sees you never apart from him, not one single time. Job 36, verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous, and thank God for that. Well, for it is God in Philippians 2, 13, which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, and he's the only one who ever pleased him. Christ is the only one that ever pleases. That's why he said in John 8, 29, I always do those things that please him. Paul mentioned it again in Romans 15, verse 3. He always did those things that please him. Do you know, it says in Isaiah 43, verse 8, we were created for his glory. Do we have any glory outside of Christ in Galatians 6, verse 14? Absolutely not. We were created for his glory. That's what grace does. We need to have an understanding of God giving us grace. God would only give us grace to glorify his son, period. Not another thing. Never gives it in Romans 6, 1 and 15 to sin, ever. Romans 3, verse 8, should I do evil, the good may abound. God forbid, and he does. We were created for his pleasure, okay? And in Isaiah 42, verse 8, his glory will he not give to another. <laughs> he won't. And that's why he came in John 1, verse 14, filled up with all that grace, that grace and truth is to the glory of God the Father in John 13, 31, and 32. As he finished it, even prior to the cross, if the cross was just the demonstration of what he had finished. He didn't go there to finish. It was the proof that it was. And the proof of that is even in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verses 4 and 5. He had already finished the work and he already glorified him on the earth. Beautiful truths. For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We were created in Christ Jesus. It was his works in Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.8, as we wrap this up this morning, Ephesians 2.8, you're saved by grace. 
through faith. Absolute dependence. And that, not even of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God in eternity past ordained, right now in time, for you and I to walk in. For you and I to walk in, and we have his steps in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, to walk in. There's not a place that we can go where he hasn't already been. Not a single place. And that's called in Song of Solomon 2, in verse 14, the secret of the stairs. And you notice it always is going up. We're on our way to meeting him. But in the meantime, you have all those little foxes in Song of Solomon 2, verse 15, that spoil the vine. They want to come in and spoil it. To make, we, to make us think the battle's ours, to make us think that normal Christian life is struggling constantly with, with other believers, constantly. And the fact of the matter is, it's not true at all. The battle is the Lord's. And those little foxes spoil the vine. Do you remember when Jesus said, I am the vine? You're the branches? Without me, in John 15, 1 through 5, you can do what? Nothing. Because when we try to do something in the flesh apart from him, what does it profit us? In John 6, 63, and in Romans 7, 18, it doesn't profit us a single thing. It doesn't profit us. So we're wrapping up this morning, and this is what it says. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Did you notice what it says? Why does it say the sword of the Spirit? Because it's not the sword until it's him who's directing us. The sword of the Spirit is what what Jesus was teaching in John 16, verses 13 and 14. He will guide you into all truth. Who is all truth in John 14, 6 and 17, 17 of John? It's Christ. He takes the things of Christ. He doesn't glorify himself like some will teach. He glorifies Christ. In John 16, 13 and 14. And the sword of the Spirit is, is that that separates. And boy, There's where the flesh comes out. (laughs) He's separating. Separating in Hebrews 4, verse 12. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of spirit, the sword of the spirit, look at, which is what? The word of God. Who is the word of God in John 1, 1? Do you see how it all works? Well, then finally here, praying what? Always. It's very interesting Praying at, oh, this is what it says in the original, by the way. This is what it says in the King James. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance unto supplication for all saints. You see the threefold all there? It's very interesting, that threefold all. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in control of who we are in first. Thessalonians 5.23, I pray God, your host, spirit, soul, and body, we've been given fully God on our, on our side, fully in Christ. Because the whole time that Christ walked the face of the earth in Colossians 2 verse 9, he was filled up with all that God is. And in 2.10, it says, and you're filled up in him. <laughs> That's what it's saying. This is what we have here. Praying with all, praying with all, Pray, and this is what it says, praying at all seasons. When? All seasons, especially the season that we're in right now. It's never been more darker, never been more evil, but never has the light shone more brightly as an opportunity that we have. Praying at all seasons, 
with all prayer and supplication. Notice what it says, in the Spirit, right? And watching unto this very thing with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. It's really a fourfold repetition of the word all. And because there's a spiritual struggle about which we'll get into at, at a different time uh, in, 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 in the mornings here. And this is really in detail, and I, I'm not going to go into detail about it because I, I still want to go into detail. And uh, it's, uh, I understand why. <laughs> oh boy. I can, I can see it, you know, and there's not, there's not an ounce of condemnation, there's not an ounce of accusation, but I could see why, even this morning, how the enemy just didn't want it. Not he's against anybody, he's not against any man, but I can tell you he did not want this, specifically, for us to have the substance of the Word of God this morning. There's no question about it. And there's absolutely no question about it. And he'll do anything and everything to distract us too. He will do it. And he's not our enemy and he loves us deeply. So Father, thank you uh, for this morning. We do thank you for the word that you gave us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.